Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Goodbye. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop. I'm your host, Kyle, and joining me again, as always, for this midweek update is Eric from ES Invests. Thank you, Eric, for the longest goodbye that we've had yet. <laughs> I aim to exceed expectations. Oh, God, was that from last episode? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say you nailed it on that one. <laughs> How are you doing today, man? Stellar. Yeah. Anything, uh, anything catching your eye this week? Anything you want to talk about? Yes. Well, I think we should talk about earnings because um, I'm actually going to try to see if I can organize a collective strike against UPS because it made me lose oh. money. So now I'm I'm angry at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what happened with UPS? You want to talk about the, well, the trade? Yeah, for sure. So I'm kind of, I go through cycles when it comes to earnings plays. And the reason why I go through cycles is I essentially am trying to find good opportunities. And sometimes if I'm trading really effectively in the rest of my portfolio, I'll pare down the number of earnings plays I'm putting out there. And then sometimes if there just seems to be really good opportunity in earnings, I'll scale it up. Or if I need more exposure because my core portfolio is performing slowly, I'll scale up earnings, like that kind of stuff. Gotcha. But what I'm seeing right now is just a very advantageous earnings play market. And a lot of it is like last two earnings cycles, I traded earnings, but lightly. And it's because with all of the inflation stuff going on and not really understanding how long it was going to take those metrics to really start impacting businesses because you, you know, everybody knows a business can shuffle a lot of money around. Right. So you don't necessarily get like the full understanding until it, after something's persisted for a little while. Okay. So long story short, 
each week, I scoop up the companies that I'm interested in trading earnings on. And actually, very frequently, I trade the same things. So I have like really long logs of mm -hmm. previous earnings data. Um, so like for something like UPS, I trade that super frequently. I have like eight years of earnings data that I track myself on UPS. And it, I look at what was the IV HV before earnings seven days out, three days out, one day out mm -hmm. on the day of like all those kinds of things, the, the close, the open, the high, the low, all that shit. So UPS looked like a just really great setup, especially for the price that I was seeing. And I chose to enter the trade with a short straddle. And there's a few reasons why I selected that. I trade earnings different ways based on the hypothesis. So if I say short straddle, that is Spanish for I don't have a directional opinion. I'm just trading volatility. That's, I think, the direct translation, oh, okay, okay. If, I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah. So the massive sell-off probably uh, was not good for something that was supposed to be directionless. Well, so the thing is, is the short straddle isn't directionless. It's just direction limited. Mm -hmm. We want it to not move. Right. But you actually get a pretty big buffer because of the, the amount of premium that you can collect, especially if IV is running overstated compared to HV, mm -hmm. which was the case here. So in this scenario, what hurt me, though, is you're 100% correct. What happened was on the 20, what was it, Monday? Yeah, so Monday right before the close, on the 24th of April, I sold 20 of the 195 calls and puts and I collected $9.90. And so essentially I had a $9.90 buffer, yeah. right? One direction or the other before I would start losing money. Right, right. So what ended up happening after, yeah, after the open, it closed close to like 195, a little over it. And then it opened at 182 and a half, actually maybe 183, something right around there. So we were at right about our threshold, a little over, obviously. And the trade opened up at a loss, not a big loss. And then as a couple minutes went by, about six to eight minutes is when I scaled out of the position largely. I actually had a couple contracts that got hung up on the limit orders that I didn't get out to a little bit later, but I bought to close that position for $13.70, mm. 75 cents. So if you take the thirteen seventy five debit to close, I collected $9.90. So it's a 300 or $3.85 loss. Per contract, 20 contracts, 7,700 bucks. So this was a $52,000 margin requirement trade that returned essentially negative 15%. So some people, it's interesting, but they forget that when you're trading a strategy like this, when you're playing earnings, I genuinely, genuinely do not care what any one of these single trades does. Yeah. I don't care. What matters to me is that in aggregate, the numbers make sense. And in aggregate, the strategy has positive expectancy. Mm -hmm. That is most important. So this earnings play didn't go the direction I wanted. Guess what? That's going to happen sometimes. That's what makes earnings tradable events. Mm -hmm. But there's a couple things that I want to be very clear about. There's a reason why I closed it shortly after the open, 
because if I had waited, it closed down on the day like at 177. So it got yeah. worse. Uh-huh. It just as easily could have gotten better, to be clear. So it could have opened at 183 and then rallied back up into my profit zone and I could have missed that. So I don't look at this as, oh man, I really dodged a bullet by getting out. I continue to reaffirm that the hypothesis I'm trading is an implied volatility contraction. I got the implied volatility contraction. It just came coupled with a big move. That was not part of what I was attempting to speculate on. Mm -hmm. So that's why for most earnings plays, if it's predicated on volatility contraction, I'm going to close shortly after the open, no matter what, whether it's going in my direction, whether it's not going in my direction, or I'll just set up limit orders, essentially stop limits so that I give it some room to run. And that's actually what I did um, this past week Mm -hmm. is I didn't close the trade out entirely. I just set limits, stop limits. I set triggers and say, okay, if there's rallies in my direction, I'll let it run a little bit, right? Get out, save a few bucks. But if it starts moving against me, then it's time to get out. It's all completely, essentially the hypothesis is disproven. Yep, yep. So yeah, I think it's just really important when you're trading some sort of strategy that requires good um, good metrics around it, that you've proven that it has positive expectancy, that you run the strategy. You run the strategy on the setups that it makes sense on. And, and interestingly enough, on the same day, I also had a trade on in 3M, and same exact structure. It was just 35. Uh, it was a 35 lot of the 28 April 105 mm-hmm. straddles. And the, that trade I made 6,500 bucks on. Yes. Yeah, so. so on the day, I was still negative. Yeah. But it still is, it's, it's just an example on how one company reported one way and it went one way and another company reported another way and it went another fucking way. And that's how it goes. I, I'm glad that you shared this because... For for me, listening and hearing this, like one of my biggest hangups on selling premium is the risk of like the uncapped, you know, losses on the upside or the downside. Yeah. Uh, to see something like this is basically a worst case scenario for this setup, right? Or pretty close well, to like. I mean, it can. It can get it a can lot get worse. Way worse, but it can get way worse. But this is this is probably about as bad as you normally would expect something to go against you, and to only take. To see how much wiggle room you had on the trade to still be able to actually make money on it, I think was a little more comforting for me to listen to and hear. Does that make sense? Well, and, and it's a great point. And yeah. it makes a ton of sense. And what I remind people is the real name of the game here mm-hmm. is sizing. This The loss on the trade was less than a percent of the account. Right. And that's by design. Yeah. This this lives in my speculative allocation. So I purposefully structure my speculative allocation strategies so that if things don't go my way, it doesn't kill me. It it hurts, right? Don't want to lose money, obviously. Right. But it's not like any sort of big deal. Yeah. It's really not a big deal. Yep. And I think that's the most important part is to make sure that you're sizing things appropriately. That risk management. Well said. Uh, I do want to quickly touch on the Activision trade we talked about last week because I did uh, manage to sell. I took one. Yeah, I sold one call, the 88, like we talked about. I sold it for $2.30 and I was planning on dumping it tomorrow. But when I saw the news this morning pre-market about the UK trying to block the merger, uh, the stock reacted in our favor and I was able to close that out for like 10 cents this morning. 
I could have let it go probably till tomorrow, but I figured yeah. at that point, like, what am I, why would I risk uh, the rest of the profit, a profitable trade for another $10 that made zero sense? It's, it's difficult because I agree with that thought process, but the way that I would think about it is the math. If that was your predefined exit, cool. Mm -hmm. I think it makes sense. If the logic was it made this big move, I don't know if it's going to keep going or not. I'll take it off here. To me, that logic would be faulted. Well, so I think it depends on the. Right, but the problem is we still had earnings tomorrow. <laughs> if I was able to close it out for basically the almost the full profit, why wouldn't I want to do that and eliminate the uncertainty of the earnings call tomorrow? I actually totally agree with you. The the way that I'm explaining it though is I would have a predetermined threshold. That's right. the point. Oh, I'm just the you. nuance yes, I'm making yes, here. Yes, yes. Is like if you put that trade on and you said. Hey, you know, my plan is before earnings, if I'm at X profit, I'll take it down. Right. And to me, the, the math on that makes perfect sense. I, I would take that same exact yep. trade down just for the listeners. I think it's a really important nuanced difference because that kind of psychological thought pattern can, that's what typically leads traders to take profits too yes. early. Not in this case at all, yes. but in general. Yeah. No, I agree with you hundred percent on that. Yep. Um, one of the things that I kind of wanted to ask you just about this whole, uh, thing going on with Activision. So like the UK blocks it. Do you know how this works? Like with the approvals for mergers, does the UK have the power to completely tank this deal? Or does that just mean that the, uh, Microsoft is risking if they go ahead and close without their blessing, that they will no longer be able to do business in the United Kingdom? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know the answer to it. Yeah. Okay. I was falling in a rabbit hole researching that. Yeah. Yeah. It was exactly. unclear. Yep. Exactly. And and that's kind of what, what would have to happen okay. is you, yeah, you'd have to, you would have to see essentially where they're trying to do business um, and exactly what the component that the UK was voting on. But I mean, as far as I know, Microsoft is still a US based company. So it's not like they could not do it. To me, it still seems like they very well can do it. Right. It just comes down to the trade offs that they would be making to do it. But, this also goes back to what we we're talking about before, which is just how volatile these kinds of deals are. And it's actually why, you know, when we were talking last time, I, I really thought it made so much sense for you to add some short calls to them against the long shares, because these, whether or not the deal still ultimately goes through, they typically experience pretty significant volatility along the way because of how much is riding on the deal going through. Yeah. And actually, I did close out uh, one of those calls, too, that I had uh, yesterday, just because I was thinking more about what we were talking about and like your uh, being thrown for a loop when I said that I had two calls, you know, for June sitting out there like that confusing you. And I thought, you know what, maybe I am a little overexposed here. I'll go ahead and trim half of that, too. Oh, interesting. So I managed to to cut one of those at the right time as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Um uh, one last point on the Activision deal, though, I did want to mention was the the UK's contention is nothing to do with uh, the fight that Sony's been making, which I thought was really interesting. Where their concern was, was Microsoft's lead in the cloud gaming sector, which is still like almost non-existent. And it's not because Microsoft is like a great giant in that field. It's because nobody else has cared to try <laughs> Right. So it was really interesting to see that that was the key point that they're pointing at for saying no to this deal. Yeah, the way I always view it as there are a lot of actors that go into it. 
Mm -hmm. The one that you're going to hear is whatever legal argument they think has the biggest probability of landing. Right. That makes sense. And my guess is the argument waiting in the UK is probably different than the argument waiting here in the US. So yeah, that that's just my guess is there most people don't want to see this kind of just consolidation anyways. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of companies very nervous, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right. Uh, as far as upcoming earnings coming up, there's a couple of stocks that I was kind of looking at that looked like they were in some interesting areas. Uh, AMD, I think, was one. BP looked really interesting where it was at. It's got earnings next week, I think, on Tuesday. Yeah, AMD is also next week, isn't it? Yeah, I think they both the are second. on Tuesday. Yeah, I because there's still I essentially work week over week because there's so many each week that I look at, but which. What's the, what are you thinking in those? Well, with British Petroleum, I liked where it's sitting at for uh, a short bias. I think this is looking like a nice double top. Uh, that $40 line has uh, been a really strong resistance in the past. It's kind of back in that same balance area it was in back in 2019. Uh, the idea there would be to try to take it back down to say, like, maybe just fill the gap at 38 for the first target and then probably 36 half for the next. I would be I would be careful to do that around earnings. I actually am typically of the opinion that like technical analysis is next to obsolete around earnings. That makes sense. And I, I wouldn't say it's yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't say it's completely irrelevant. I'm saying my bias is definitely to the short side on this one. Like I wouldn't be I don't know, I'm not sure how that's kind of why I brought it up, I guess. How best to capture the idea. Yeah. Um, well, if you're directional, mm -hmm. then you can trade like, so let me, let me take a step back. I think if you're trading earnings in any capacity via derivatives, you must understand your trading volatility. That is the first thing you're trading. Okay. Then beyond that, you can have directional skews. If you do feel uh, like in this case, let's say that was your disposition, you could have something like you could do a skewed short strangle where you have higher deltas on the short calls, or you could sell 
more short calls at the same delta or more short calls at a higher delta. Or if you do a short straddle, you could do more short calls in the short straddle. Like there's a million different ways you can skew the deltas to have your overall directional basis. Okay. But the way okay. that I view all of them is that they are baked into a volatility strategy. That makes sense. That makes a hundred percent sense. So it's, but I still like the idea of having some like targets in mind if I'm thinking of it like the way you did your UPS trade, where I kind of want to know how much cushion I need for where I think this could go after earnings, if that makes sense too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like if my worst case scenario is we come back and we retest 36.50, then that means if it's trading at 39 half, that gives me $3 worth of premium to work with, right? Yeah, I think that that's fair. And it's a little too early to calculate the expected move. Mm-hmm. But at least as of right now in BP, the expected move is super small. Yeah, it's still it's still relatively small. Okay. Like the the forward expected move, it's probably like a dollar fifty ish, at least from what I'm seeing right now. Okay, so not a good one. Uh, what are you looking at then? Uh, well, I'm still nearer term than than you. So for after the market today, I had um, Amgen, A M G N. They're kind of a, a favorite of mine, and they tend to to move a lot of different ways. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's for tomorrow. My bad. For today, after the market, there is, uh, I have eBay, which again, like the company names that I trade for earnings, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel one way or the other about them. It's just stuff that is liquid. I can get in and out on earnings. So like I bring that up because I don't feel any type of way about eBay, but it's just a, a decent trade for me. So yeah, eBay I had on and then same thing with um, Aflac, I had Aflac on, and both of those are behaving kind of exactly how I need them to to do well. And then I also have for tomorrow morning, I have AAL, ABV, ABBV, Caterpillar, CAT, uh, ConocoPhillips, or not, sorry, not, I always fuck up COP versus CMP. CNP, <laughs> I forgot the, what the fuck is CNP? Yeah, it's center point energy. COP is kind of cool. Oh, COP. Um, so yeah, I have a bunch of stuff on for, well, not necessarily today exclusively, but also for tomorrow mornings. I still have um, Love, MasterCard, Mosaic, um, Northrop Grumman, um, SO, which I always feel some type of way about trading Southern Company, but they're, they look good, so that's why the trade went on there. VLO. Let's do this. Amgen was the one that is coming out uh, tomorrow after the bell? Yeah. Let's let's walk through that thesis, uh, or the trade that you put on for that, because yeah. this will air uh, Thursday morning, so people still have time to be able to watch and see how it plays out if they want to be able to, to kind of see it happen in real time. Yeah, for sure. So because this is coming out uh, tomorrow after the close, I I don't have a trade on yet, so the oh okay okay yeah yeah so the the trade will go on tomorrow right before the close so I I don't enter anything yet but I can still walk through the overall hypothesis yeah um and it's actually this is a funny one that you bring up because my hypothesis in Amgen has changed from when I do a cursory overview this past weekend so typically on Sundays before earnings. I go through all of the things that I'm looking at and I update my data set mm-hmm. to make sure that I have all the recent stuff for me to, uh, to you know, take a comparison against. And then I sketch out a trade 
but I don't put it on. It's just like, this is what I'm thinking. And with the down move today, that actually has a pretty big impact on what I would do. Because if you look at the variance between implied volatility and historic volatility, it contracted a ton today. So for example, on the 25th, the implied volatility for 30 days was 20, 25.1%. And the historic volatility for the same time frame was 13.8%. So it's about a you know 12 point gap, something like that. Mm-hmm. After today, implied volatility is 25% and historic volatility is now 16.4%. So with that, the reason why that matters is that's chewing into the volatility gap edge that I'm trying to trade. Yeah. So depending on how it moves tomorrow, that will change the overall thought process. But as of right now, I have a generally neutral trade idea where I want to trade just volatility. So this would be another just short straddle at the money. I might skew it slightly to the downside just because of the overall pressure that we're seeing in the market. Mm -hmm. And I do look at sympathetic moves from other companies that are not necessarily direct competitors, but close competitors to see how they previously reported. So there would be a slight bearish bias. And what that could look like is if I'm selling in at the money short straddle, maybe the short calls are a 52 delta and the puts are a 48 delta, right? Because typically they're not always perfect 50-50. Yeah, yeah. Or I might sell a few extra contracts of the short calls. I'm not looking at a short uh, strangle in this because the premium is a little too thin, especially after the move today. So it would probably have to be a short straddle for it to still make sense. Uh, That makes sense. So what would you have to see tomorrow to change your mind? Or to to modify your um, plan. If like, we, yeah, what would give you pause, I guess? Yeah, if if we get a big move down tomorrow and historic volatility shoots over implied, I wouldn't trade it at all. Mm-hmm. If that gap between historic and implied closes further, I probably wouldn't trade it. It's still a viable trade, to be clear. But because there are so many things that look good right now, there's no reason for me to chase this. Now, Right. In to juxtapose that, if this was during the bull market that we experienced before the COVID crash, I would put this trade on because I was hunting for volatility literally anywhere. Mm-hmm. I would have asked my dog for it if he had it. So, <laughs> because of that, like we're fortunate now where I can be pretty selective. All right. Um, anything else that you're looking at this week or uh, that we should touch on before we wrap up here? Yeah, I thought it would be good if we could talk real quick just about the the credit crunch and oh, yes. FRC's um, earnings report. I don't know if you've if you caught it by chance. I'll see if I can find the actual link so that the viewers can take a look at. But it's really important. I did not see. I saw that they collapsed, but I didn't see why. Yeah. So essentially, they had over a hundred um, hundred million dollars or in in outflows, or was it billion? I, with companies like this, I forget the difference between fucking millions and billions, man. Like, it's all monopoly money. Does to it? Them. I mean, does it really make a difference? <laughs> like, like conceptually, I don't think I could visualize the difference between a million and a billion. Well, I think that that's completely fair. Um, <laughs> I'm also not so. Anyways, the let me let me get the earnings report for you. But yeah. So long story short, they had huge, huge. It's a hundred billion. There it is. I was going to yeah. say a million is too small for it a bank. Seems that's like why it, yeah. it fucking confused me. Yeah. 
So they had a hundred billion in outflows, and this was all starting from SVB bank collapse. Mm-hmm. So the fact that FRC is experiencing this kind of contraction is huge. It's absolutely huge. And it's also, I'm trading volatility in it now because the the volatility is just so impressive. But this is the idea of a credit crunch for those that don't know. Big banks, the quote unquote, too big to fail. They have a certain market that they typically operate in. But for most people, they do business with smaller banks, regional banks, things like Mm -hmm. that. And so like if you own, you know, Kyle's plumbing and septic or whatever the fuck, you're probably not going to go to JP Morgan. You're probably going right. to go to a more regional bank that's down the road or whatever. So First Republic Bank offers you a glimpse into their world. And that kind of outflow is a huge problem because they are doing the vast majority of lending for a lot of small businesses. That's a huge important concept Hmm. here is that these smaller regional banks do a lot of work. So with all of the uncertainty in SVB, all of these small banks, people start getting really scared. They move their money out. Now, all of these small banks are undercapitalized. How do they make money now if they can't loan money because all of their fucking money is gone? This creates a credit crunch where smaller banks are strapped for cash. They don't have enough to remain solvent or they're struggling to remain solvent. So it's very difficult for them to generate new business when they can't really exist in by itself at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So this is probably one of the largest market forces, at least to keep an eye on in the short term, because the the impacts of this stuff is huge, absolutely huge. Like there's still a chance that FRC collapses. They're not out of the woods by any account. They were saved by some of the larger banks. They gave them a ton of money. They even loaned, they even borrowed money from the treasury so that they could remain solvent. So they are still very much in the throes of battle. They were given, because yeah, the JP Morgan and a bunch of other, the big banks that got all the inflows from the people taking their money out of the regional banks are the ones that banded together and gave them that money right back. (laughs) It's, It's actually kind of comical. It's they, we cannot afford for them to fail. And I mean, if you need any indication of how life is going, they were trading at 118 at the beginning of March. And then by March 22nd, they were at $14. Yeah, that's insane. For those that haven't looked at their earnings release, again, even if you're not looking to trade it or you don't really care, I think this is another just incredible learning experience for people that are interested in remaining involved in the markets long-term. You don't get to see banks under this kind of pressure very frequently, especially to this level. That's why I think SVB was another great learning session for people. So I just threw the link in the notes so that you could throw it into the to the uh, podcast, but you got to read through the the first quarter 2023 results because revenues were down 13% income in, interest income was down almost 20% net income was down 33% like this is like doomsday shit jesus so it's just it's a really informative read on how these things impact long term like we were just talking about earnings right before mm-hmm. seeing the impact of things cuz it takes time this is what's happening here that's uh kind of terrifying now that you put it like that yeah uh, yeah, we'll have that link in there. I'll, I'll make sure I link the uh, the Activision story too. Uh, anything else then uh, before we wrap up here? No, sir. 
All right. Well, that's going to take us to the end of the episode. Uh, we'll say thank you to everyone who stuck around to the end. Thanks again to Eric for uh, breaking down uh, two trades in a row. If you'd like to know more about how he trades, visit his YouTube at ES Invest. And you can check us out at twobullsinachinashop.com. Back in your ears soon with another exciting episode. Until then, share this with your friends the same way Nicolas Cage shares his acting talent. Every chance he gets. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades. Share this with your friends the same way Nicolas Cage shares his acting talent. Every chance he gets. Z. What's up? Yeah, you never heard him say Z. no to a movie, have you? <laughs> yeah, he's been in so many bad ones. Huh. The Wicker Man. I thought he was good. Oh, in I thought he was good in one? Gone in sixty seconds. Yeah, he's good in that. He's been in. Uh, he's been in some good ones. He's been in some terrible ones. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely some terrible. <laughs>